Hello and welcome, dear listener, to the Odd Job Pod. We've uh, we have come back into the world of James Bond after a little action movie land film uh, diversion for the last few weeks. But what we have done, I think, we set ourselves in a place where we can talk mid '90s with confidence. We are back into the era of girl power, cool Britannia, and uh, many other things as well. And hey. There's a lot of mass media manipulation. So, how manipulated do you feel? Have you got your stealth boat ready? Has Pierce Brosnan got his stealth boat ready? We're about to find out in the next episode of the Odd Job Pod. I am joined to discuss Pierce Brosnan's stealth boat, who's part of Pierce Brosnan's canon, <laughs> with uh, as ever Graham Sibley and uh, and Terry DeFellin. How are we both, gentlemen? Very, very good. Thank you, Gary. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking about this film because I, I think this is this is this is in my era. This is late 90s. This is back when I was a god. I was 28 when this film came out. I was I ruled the world. And in many ways, I still think the world is 1997. <laughs> <laughs> world is not enough. And you. Um, you know, this is this is a film. I know you have a deep love for and i'm hoping the discussing it in depth will not ruin that love for you we will we will not do a reverse moonraker with you no i mean i know this movie has flaws uh i my love of this movie comes from a different place i was unwell when this movie came out and tomorrow never dies uh, was of enormous help to me during my my lengthy convalescence from my unwellness i won't bore you too much with the nature of my 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 unwellness but what i will say is that this is the kind of james bond film that only someone recovering from mental illness can truly love i i think that that almost at this point we could probably end the podcast there and we everybody would have been like yep nope I know exactly what Terry's talking about, but hey, we've got about another hour to fill, so uh, we will we will go through this in in more depth. Um, and I think probably first thing that it helps to do, Graham, is to is to set the context of this film a little bit because we've we've come off the back of Goldeneye, a hugely successful relaunch of the franchise, a film that has been pretty much universally loved. Everybody's super pumped and super excited. So um, MGM being MGM are like, let's get another one out as quickly as possible. Um, and that one probably is the, let, let's let's be honest, that is probably the basis for some of the problems that we are going to discuss throughout uh, this film, not least of which um, there's a little bit of a rush to get a script out. Yes, yes, there is. And... And what do you do when you when you when you need to rush to get 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 a script out? You try and get as many people as you can in as possible to try and sort it out. Uh, and uh, and yeah, the script isn't isn't the best. Yeah, um, many hands haven't made light work here. They've 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 actually created something that in parts is brilliant, and in in parts is is just all over the shop. Uh, whether or not it's it's just. It's just bad is is another thing. Whether or not it's of its time is another thing as well, because there is some dialogue in this script that is just just frankly awful. And and I, I do find myself watching it thinking, did we all talk like that back then? Um maybe we did. Maybe we did. Did did we all sit in the back of our cars drinking whiskies? Maybe we did. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a it was a fun time back then. Um, it was before the internet. It was really. the nineties, man. It was a wild time. <laughs> it was. It was. New Bonds have this with their second film, don't they? Um, it's probably why George Lazenby said, "Nope, <laughs> I'm not doing Diamonds Are Forever," and he was right not to. <laughs> they <laughs> they even got Sean Connery in to do Diamonds Are Forever, and it still honked. Um, but the second films are, are generally are problematic, aren't they? You've got you've got um, you've got Man with the Golden Gun. That, that's pretty weak. Um, now Dalton did a does okay he gets licensed to kill it's very very different from living daylights and some people don't like it at all other people think it's it's one of the best ones in the franchise and then yeah even going forward you've got a daniel craig quantum of solace look how look how that one another one that the the that had that was rushed out rushed out in the middle of, middle of a writer's strike um yeah and consequently is Pretty much, it's been almost redacted, isn't it, from 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 the history books, really? And this one, I wouldn't say it suffers the same thing, but it's the start of a decline, isn't it? it you, you've got Golden Eyes, great. You've got this one, which is has flashes of greatness, and then you've got the next two, which are just pretty much garbage. Yeah, it's um, it's a sorry decline um, as well. And I think we, we will touch on some of the, the elements that you can see in here. But Terry, as well, the other thing as well that you have within the, the late 90s, we've talked about this a lot before with Brosnan. <clears throat> Golden, I did a, a really good job of bridging that kind of Soviet era um, into the modern era. And then you're put into a place where you're like, OK, well, who's the villain? Um, and in this case, you uh, they they end up on a slightly camp Jonathan Price as the villain. They do. Um, I mean, Jonathan Price, it should be acknowledged from the outset, is a magnificent actor. Um, but he gets this all wrong. Uh, I, I mean, yes, he, he does not have, I think, the best dialogue to work with. But and I and I also feel that he probably isn't given maybe he, he suffers from poor direction perhaps I don't know Roger Spottiswood is the director he knows how to direct successful films and and and, and good films okay all right stop or my mum will shoot but you know <laughs> turn he's, on who <laughs> I've seen I mean I've I mean I've seen a film called and the band played on which is a movie about uh, the um, about the, the the beginnings of the uh, the AIDS epidemic in the United States, uh, a, a film of considerable substance, directed by Roger Spottiswood, uh, and an excellent film. Um, I mean, he so I mean, I would suggest that he really should know what he was doing. I know the film suffers from script and script problems and script disagreements as well, but Jonathan Price, I just think, gets his interpretation of this completely wrong. Um, and 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 the film suffers hugely for it. He wasn't the first choice. Anthony Hopkins was the first choice. I think Albert Finney was lined up as well. It didn't do it. I, I mean, interestingly, uh, Anthony Hopkins was going to was 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 earmarked for it. Initially, I think he was earmarked for Trevelyan's role in Goldeneye, but they decided to go with someone a bit younger. He turned down Tomorrow Never Dies because he wanted he went to do. Zorro instead with Martin Campbell who directed Goldeneye and turned down Tomorrow Never Dies 
to go and do Zorro. So this movie loses loses somewhat to Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And ah, well, you know, maybe that's fair. But I think that hindered with all with these disadvantages, I'd like to say that he struggles on manfully. But I'm afraid I don't. I'm afraid I think that it's a it's it's a poor show from his, and he's thoroughly unconvincing, really cheesy. I mean, some of the dialogue that he is given is, is just really bad, but he just doesn't. He, I just, he doesn't look like he's got a handle on the character at all, and what he's trying to achieve with this character. Yeah, it's. Um, I mean, if, for for other listeners, you may want to go back and revisit our World Cup of Villainry, and I think Carver is uh, <laughs> is certainly well down at the bottom. Uh, he is null point really from his group uh, and, and would not emerge with any credit whatsoever. Um, but yeah, I, for all that, Graham, and, and yes, um, Carver is 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 a very poorly written and, and probably poorly portrayed villain. The concept is, is, is quite fascinating um, in terms of where they've decided to go. Clearly, somebody's gone, well, Maxwell's not going to sue us anymore. Uh, and uh, and Rupert Murdoch's probably got bigger things to care about. So uh, so let's go in there. And, and, and it's funny enough, like, one of the things that I think you can say about Tomorrow Never Dies is that it's got some bits which are, are dreadfully dated and it's got some bits which are quite prescient because you could probably remake a lot of this villainry now, but substitute Murdoch for Musk, for example. Uh, well, certainly. And, and if... And if any of the listeners have gone to watch um, the Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion, which is basically all about an Elon Musk type character, um, but carried off in a much more successful way than than this this film is. And, and I wonder if there is some element of fear that they might be sued by Ted Turner or Robert uh, or uh, or uh, Rupert Murdoch. Murdoch in this and so they perhaps push it more towards the Robert Maxwell type uh, character. Uh, Maxwell had been dead for um, six years by the time this film is made and but he hadn't gone away. There was the whole thing about the pension fund um, that had rolled on and I think it was only about a year or so after his two sons had, had got away um, scot-free from the, from the fraud trial. So uh, there is there. It's still it's still quite sort of in the forefront of the public consciousness as as this comes out. But making satires against the media wasn't anything new. I think this this is a few years after um, Chris Morris's day to day, and there's a lot of that in there, isn't there? The whole war episode of that uh, of that could be sort of like someone must have seen that and thought, let's make a James Bond film out of this. Let's let's just do this, and uh, and uh, uh, and wouldn't it be great? Um, so there is that. You've got this mid-90s thing of lad culture as well. So there is this explosion of media. There's far more uh, TV channels do, 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 than you've seen before. There's magazines coming out all over the place. The internet is just starting. It's it's really, really fledgling. I, I think I'd probably just about got an email address in 97. Um, so, so things are changing. And it's interesting about that, about that sort of like whole sort of explosion of media, because there are so many sort of big TV names now 
in little sort of like bit parts, in little extra roles. These aren't cameo roles. These are extra roles. <laughs> these are them just coming out. Uh, like Hugh, uh, Hugh Bonneville is there, isn't he? As, uh, as like, you know, Mr. Downton Abbey and, uh, and Paddington's um, foster father. He, he's, he's there in this film. And, uh, and well, um, Downton Abbey's creator, Julian Fellows, is in there as the Minister of Defence, isn't he? He's, he's in there. Um, but they, there's loads. You can just pick them all out, can't you, throughout this whole film? I, yeah, I'm I'm with Terry. I mean, the, the, Jonathan Price comes at this. I, I don't sure if he comes at it from the wrong angle, but he's obviously not directed well enough, and the script just doesn't doesn't suit it. He's just, I suppose, what they're trying to introduce is a new kind of Bond villain, but it just doesn't come off. It just there is there isn't the menace. The fact that that all his henchmen seem to look like like Butlin's employees. Um, going around like a, uh, like a printing work, and they're, they're oh great! Now, well, why are you really fighting this much over over someone in a newspaper uh, print, printing a workshop? I mean, not really. I mean, this is not something to die over, basically. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those sort of things you should never really look too hard at in 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 a Bond film, anyway. But yeah, I, I think it it is it tries to bring in things that are important in the mid nineties. So. Yeah, media is one of those things, and especially that sort of media culture, celebrity culture is just really just kicking in, and and so yeah, it brings that in there. It brings that in there as the as the sort of as the villain of the piece, but really, it has the villain of the piece there anyway. You know, you've got a stolen a stolen nu- nuclear torpedo. You've got um, an arms deal that they got a bus proper James Bond stuff and in the middle of it you've got this basically news editor actually Jonathan Price does a great job of being a someone who runs a newspaper or a media uh, group I mean you have yeah he's fine at that is he a Bond villain of course he's not he's completely unconvincing at the end when they have their when they have have their their head to head uh, because you just don't expect it and of course he's sort of let down by the fact that he's got a weak um henchman as well usually if you've got a weak villain a good henchman can 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 save you um but i mean got sotto he, he does he does a, he does a yeah, fairly good job of being being the, the the hired goon but that's all he is um it's pretty much as uh very similar to to um oh, oh, i can't remember his name now but the guy the guy from uh, living daylights isn't it it's it's pretty much that same sort of sort of character here um uh, but just there isn't it's it's unconvincing and it's and it doesn't help and i suppose these are the things that bring this film down from being a really really good film because it's got all the other ingredients there ready for it to being brilliant and and then there is just something that always brings you back always brings you back to no that was, that was yeah. awful it- there are some really, really good, good elements in there, um, and and as well as um, as mining a lot of the uh, the nineties media. Um, Terry, one film that actually came to mind when I was watching this back, which I hadn't really occurred to me too much, but um, it feels like the writers, as they were trying to get a handle on it, did something which I think is eminently sensible and dived back into the spy who loved me. And there, def- there are a lot of elements to me in terms of, you know, two conflicting powers, West versus East. You've got Michelle Yeoh there, who, who is I, I really love as a character as well. You can kind of see where they were taking a lot of their inspiration from, which is is no bad thing. 
Um, and it's it's such a shame because I think if they'd, uh, you know, and, and let's be fair, we didn't ask Spy He Loved Me. Um, whilst we love that film, it's it's one of the best Bond films ever. You know, we also acknowledge that but Kurt Jurgens' his, his character there is, is again, it's not the strongest of all the Bond villains, albeit he has an underwater lair and everything else, which is, is very impressive. But yeah, if you're going to mine a, a Bond film, Spy Love Me is not a bad thing. And I, I would probably argue that some of the good bits from this film probably come from when they've actually sat down and gone, oh, that interplay between Roger and Barbara back is, is very good. Let's uh, let's go for it again for uh, for Pierce and Michelle. Definitely. The the relationship between uh, Bond and uh, Waylon is 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 very, very good, very powerful. I think that works very well. Um I mean, I think they're trying to sort of like tap in on the kind of the Hong Kong stuff as well, which we've talked about in action movie landfill, haven't we, fairly recently? Yeah, um, a European film's trying to tap in on the Hong Kong film. One of the earlier iterations of uh, earlier versions or previously submitted scripts for this movie was actually set in Hong Kong around the time of to coincide with the handover to uh, to, to China. But it was uh, it was dismissed because uh, uh, that you know, would, it would have happened by the time the movie was due to come out. So they 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 didn't uh, go through with that. But I wonder whether or not any that legacy is sort of like that that kind of high action Hong Kong style karate stuff and bringing in Michelle Yeoh, who is an acknowledged great in that field and you know an a, an, an excellent actress and a superb um, action actress. And yes. Probably, to my mind, better chemistry between Pierce and Michelle Yeoh than Roger and Barbara, if I'm being honest, because I think we've probably, you know, acknowledged that as much as we love The Spy Who Loved Me and as much as we love Barbara Bach, we, we you know, she wasn't necessarily the strongest actress um, and, and maybe that chemistry wasn't wasn't there. So... So I think in that respect, it, it works a lot better. And yeah, if you're going to, you know, if you're if you're if you're in a rush to make a, a new James Bond film, that, then it is, you know, we've seen before how they will go back to to the well. Uh, Goldfinger frequently has been remade, as we've as we've discussed. And and yeah, there are other classic popular Bond movies that you can mine. Spy Who Loved Me, clearly. I mean, yes, not an underground and not an underwater layer, but a overwater layer um that works and it works it was a clever idea big giant stealth stealth boat and it looked a gr- it's a great looking stealth boat all right yeah all right yes it's a it's a it's it's what what did we say it was it's a submarine above the water no way stealth boats exist no. they're called submarines <laughs> yes no but this one this one doesn't sit go under under anyway so it's um, worse than a submarine um, <laughs> But it's it's a fantastic, it's a beautiful, it's a great design. It's 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 proper James Bond that that stealth boat. The moment you see it, you go, oh, that looks like a proper authentic James Bond thing. That, you know that stealth boat actually existed. It was built in the mid eighties by the U.S. government as a prototype because they thought stealth boats were were, were going to be a thing. Then someone, a thing. then someone pointed out that stealth boats were, were they were, had already been invented and they were called submarines, and so they never built any more. And so, and so, basically, they tried to flog it, and uh, no one bought it. So it was scrapped. It was sold for scrap in 2012. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that, that that that's the story of of the of the stealth boat. 
I'm kind of surprised it wasn't picked up by a Russian billionaire before all of this Ukraine nonsense happened. And, <laughs> well, um, maybe, maybe it would have been. Maybe it would have been. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> maybe they scrapped it too early. If they, if they, if they, you know, it could have been like like zipping across the Caspian Sea right now, couldn't it? <laughs> yeah, or, or or seized in a in a Hanseatic port somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. That that would have worked. Uh, um, yeah, there's there's traces of Thunderball in this movie as well. I think also there's the the, the setup is quite similar to Thunderball. It, it, it's leveraging nu- nuclear weapons in order to for for huge financial gains. The, you know, it's not quite the same um, in that they're threatening to actually. But but yeah, it, it is no. Yeah, I think it is quite similar. They steal they steal a nuclear weapon. It's part of a broader play, but it, it's still you know there's bits there. So they they take a bit of Spy Who Loved Me. They take a bit of Thunderball um, and they put it together. And actually, they put together a quite, I think, a nice tight package of, you know, action sequences and with a bit of exposition in between the action sequences Mm. to move the story forward. And actually, in that respect, it works really, really well. Um, the, The subtext, if you want to call it that, of the of the media ban and media tycoon, to be honest with, I mean, the script writer... Uh, worked for Sky News. He worked for CNN, uh, and and that's where the idea came from. But it's not. Um, it, but it doesn't mean anything though. It's simply backdrop. Yeah, it's, I, it's, there's no meaning behind it. It's not trying to tell you anything. I, I think. I think the problem is is I know you, what you 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 were saying, Gary, about how how prescient it seems. But in many ways, for me, looking back on it, it looks quite naive. It it looks mm. like it's not really it's like looking at these people and thinking oh look at these people control everything if if jonathan price had had this role written for him in the same way that um that lashif was written for mads mickelson and was directed in the same way you know if he was in that position because he was in fear of a bigger organization because someone was going to come after him or that like, it was that he was actually on the on the real precipice, he had a lot of power, but he, he he was his life was in danger, like Maxwell, because that that, 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 that that's why he ended up dead, uh, because you know he owed people lots and lots of money, and so and stole lots of money. So if you if you and everyone knew that, so if you add that level of of jeopardy there, all right, it, it it makes the film perhaps a little bit more complicated, a little bit more a bit more intrigue, but that would have given this film so much more. Yeah. His motivations for going to such extreme lengths, you know, I mean his his plan isn't to blow up the world. But, you know, his plan, you know, if he if his plan goes wrong, then one of the prop, one of the the byproducts of it will be blowing up the world. It's an awful lot to risk. There's an awful lot of moving parts to his plan. Any one of them goes wrong, the world gets blown up. Um, so for him to to go to those lengths just simply to, you know, make more money does seem, you know, just sort of somewhat unconvincing. Mm. Um, and, and Graham's right. I mean, if there'd been a, 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 an element of desperation... I mean, he, we get a bit of insight into into Carver. I mean, at the end, when when they uh, during the stealth boat fight sequence in the climax, they capture Waylin and Gupta says, "Well, why don't you just kill her?" And he says, "Oh, I need an audience. It's who I am." 
So you get a, a a bit of insight as to as to what's motivating him. He's 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 mad, as Bond says. You really are quite insane. But I don't know whether or not that's enough. And I don't think that I don't think because the because the character's not fully rounded, because it's not really very well acted, it's not convincing. And I'm just simply not. I'm not. I'm not buying that 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 kind of that kind of nonsense from him. I mean, I Strongberg, I can get behind because he wants to build an entirely new. Yeah. civilization under the sea Drax I can get behind because he wants to build a whole new civilization you know that those that level of megalomania I can get behind yeah. but I want to I want I want media rights for China I mean come on I mean that is naive and 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 you know dated frankly yeah. I mean that does just just doesn't hold up it, it's yeah it, it I watching that I it was one of the elements and and you know maybe at the time you might have felt a bit differently watching that film, given the, the time it was out. But that, that's one bit that dates very, very quickly. I also thought, you know, he could have probably just waited a few more years and invented Twitter, and then he would have brought <laughs> the entirety of civilization. Um, you know, there, there's your big flaw in your plan, Elliot. Um, the other thing that I really, that was a, almost a problematic thing for me that leapt out, which is, is quite rare because you've got a wonderful opening sequence, and then you get into this bit where you're like, oh, okay, this is interesting. And then to me, it commits one of the most cardinal rules of a Bond villain, which is pretty much never reveal the motivation within the first frame. Because the Bond, really good Bond films are the ones where Bond is trying to catch up and you're trying to figure out what's going on. You probably know a bit more than Bond does, but everything in there and it's like, OK, right, I see where this is going. OK, I can probably at this stage walk to the fridge, crack myself open another beer and I'm not going to miss too much within here. And that that to me is probably one of I don't know, out of everything. And there are lots of problems. That to me is almost one bit where I'm like, oh, yes, you've watched a lot of films. But have you watched a lot of films in here? Because this is not how you write a Bond film. Um, and there's, there's many, many problematic elements. I also wanted to pick up as well from what I think, Graham, you said in, in terms of Hench, um, that imagine if, you know, if this, if Carver had Jaws and they just decided randomly to bring back Jaws for this or a version of Jaws, imagine how good that would have been. You would have forgiven a lot, lot more if you had Jaws in there and Pierce going up against Jaws. I would have loved to see that. Well, of course. And if and, and if Jaws was there, if, if Jaws was there, he would have gone off the edge of, of, of the car park as well, wouldn't he? In yes. the car, walking out of the Avis, brushing down his his jacket and walking on, and you would have had. I'd have loved to seen Pierce's reaction, throwing a punch, and just do the classic Roger move of punch. Oh, ah. I mean, yeah. I, I think Pierce could have probably carried that off as well as Roger could. But um, yeah, I, it, it's a shame. There's so many potentially brilliant wasted elements but let's talk about some of the good stuff because we have picked apart some of the bad stuff and graham some of the good stuff in here and let's let's be fair the action sequences in here i would say are up there there's some some of the best action sequences in the modern era um you know you've got the bike chase you've got the car chasing that's not even pierce brosnan behind the wheel of a car he's using a a track pad you've got the the opening action sequence if you want action if you want action movie landfill, this delivers it in spades if you don't pay too much attention to everything else. It does. And there are so many um, Daniel Craig callbacks that go back to, to, to this film. The bike chase, the bike chase on, on, on you know, through, through, through the town. 
looks a lot like the the bike chase uh, at the start of of Skyfall, doesn't doesn't it? Of course, he um, Brosnan drew the short straw because obviously he's driving this bus of a of a BMW bike instead of a lovely dirt bike that Daniel Craig gets. So that gives it a lot more action and a lot more impact. Whereas he's just trundling along on this <laughs> basically tank with two wheels. Um, but the whole comedy scene with him of of him and uh, and Michelle Yeoh switching positions all the time and and that adds just so much more dynamism to that whole sequence. So you forgive the fact that they they're on this awful machine, but that that does give it a lot more. I and mean, there is some ridiculous stuff with the helicopter, but yeah, fine. It's it's a popcorn film. It's fine. I can go I can go with that. The car chase in the in the car park is just superb, and of course the opening sequence. Is is brilliant and he's one of the best, one of the best in in the whole franchise. And I don't care. I mean, it it, it that's a, another shift as well because because of modern tech technology, people are used to mobile phones. So there is this whole thing of Scooby Gang now. There is this whole M is on the mission as well now, and they're they're and and it's and it's also as well. You got the Royal Navy involved, so that adds a whole new layer to things. Bond is now working in a bigger picture, and not just one man in a field on his own. So, I think for Bond people, that really drags us in there. Yeah, the whole thing about the the reveal when 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 that when the van move, well the jeep moves, doesn't it, and reveals the nuclear torpedoes, and you think, right, missiles are on their way. Of course, then the missiles can't be aborted. Brilliant! Come on, ramp it up. The music is is brilliant it's it's brilliant and then yeah all hell breaks loose and you know you're introduced to bad guys in there that are going to come back later it's it's got everything in there this this and as well the best action sequences that start off a film is when it's not just a throwaway piece to just wake you up and like you know get you through halfway through your popcorn it's actually something that actually ties in and and this it's a very very tight the small tie in where it's like there's one MacGuffin that's being carried around and like it just introduces you to that and the and the and the guy who 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 knows how it works because it's all it is it's just it's just a load of numbers isn't it and I think the the action as well works really well so in the in the in the pacing of the film there is nothing wrong with the pacing of the film which is a lot of of the problems with films that that we find that we struggle with. We actually have to go in for more technical things, like like you know the the the, the way that that characters are developed and 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 the way and the and the type of lines that they're given to actually pick a part of why this film doesn't sit right. There's so many things that this gets right, and the action is is one of the top there. The choice of Michelle Yeoh, I have to say, is is just inspired she uh, to call her a bond girl i think is just reduces her a bit a bit much in this because she is a co-star in this and you're right there is there is elements of barbara back in it but of course barbara back she she was great at the comic elements but of course she wasn't going to do the action sequence and now you've got someone who knows their way around a fight sequence and knows her way around a fight sequence a hell of a lot better than pierce brosnan does um I, I imagine if it was some some um, weird. Could you imagine George Lazenby in this in this film? Mm. Mm. Imagine the fight sequences then, especially when they're handcuffed to each other. Bloody hell! How great would that have been? Um, mm. uh, Michelle Yeoh, um, uh, a, a ballet dancer. She, uh, if you, you you read through her C, C, CV, and and she's likes a character from Bond anyway. 
uh, born in Malaysia. Um, the, I think her, her father was a politician. Um, studied ballet in London. You know, won Miss Malaysia when when it went to, to Miss World. Became a film star in Hong Kong. She's done everything, and of course, you can see that. Um, that whole transition between dance and action um, in that whole thing of, of the fight sequences she's in, she, she, she just choreographs herself so well. Um, and the fight sequences are just brilliant. The, the one in the, in the, in her, in her lair, in her, in her bike shop, that, that's, that's just brilliant. It's just, it just really is good. And a great um, callback to Moonraker when Bond's, Looking at all the gadgets um, <laughs> and just setting them off accidentally, you know. But but Brosnan does that even better. He does that bit of comedy even better than Moore did. So that's yeah, yeah. What, that's what a great line. That, yeah. you know, the line where he laughs and says, "Very novel." Yeah. I just think that's that's just such a sweet line. <laughs> it's so it's, it's it's genuinely funny. It's heartwarming, and and there's a and it, there's that sort of. There's there that scene is really good because there's that feeling of 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 sort of camaraderie between the two. Yeah. They are obviously are they're on opposite sides, but they're in the same business, and it almost feels like they're kind of catching up and sort of like saying, "Oh, you got one of those," or "You yeah. oh, you do this," or "Oh, that's really and, interesting." And and, and, the, and the idea that they've got knockoff watches there as well, which is is yeah. is, is, is it's superb. A bit, yeah, it's a bit that, but of course, if you said, "Yeah, we've made improvements on it," of course you have. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I think, but there's it's a new wolf. Ah, the new. Wolf. I don't know. Yeah, he gets the new author, doesn't he? And he likes that. I mean, there's the, there's warmth as well. Yeah, there is. There's yeah. the warmth. So there's just a brief moment where he pauses, and they just take a moment to pause and just let have him just sort of like stare at her. And it's not a it's not a sort of like lustful stare. It seems to be genuine affection coming coming from from the guy. A respect as well. Which, yeah, yeah. Respect. Yeah. yeah. Which and and I mean. I'm certain probably at the time there was talk about a spin-off series involving Waylin, but I mean, there always tends to be this kind of natter, which usually comes to nothing. Uh, if I can just reference the, 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 the car chase, because, because I mean, the, the, the novelty of deciding to have a, a, car, a car chase in a car park in Brent Cross... Um, I, you know, I mean, <laughs> I think it took them three weeks to film that. And just the clever idea of saying, well, let's just do it, you know, with the you know, backseat driver thing and, and, and we'll have the call back in the, in, the, in the cold open and the backseat driver using a trackpad. The film has established itself, its tone, the kind of movie it's going to be. We, the audience, are ready for that kind of car chase with yeah. that level of nonsense by the time it comes. And the fact that the BMW has got all the necessary gadgets to meet the specific challenges that come up in that car park, as if <laughs> he knew he was going to go to a car park in Brent Cross and, and, and have a big car chase with a bunch of large men in blazers. Um, but the mot juste is, is, is Pierce's expression as he, as he manages to engineer the car into the Avis thing. And the, and the look on his face is like... Is, is like Kylian Mbappe when he, you know, when he, when he finally finally finishes off, you know, a, a, a flourish, you know. I mean, it was it's 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 incredibly French. Um, it's the precisely the sort of thing that will lose France the World Cup, in my opinion. But that that quest for utter perfection, and it was just <laughs> such a lovely moment. And these are the things. This is the thought that is being put into this movie into these moments and that's what makes the careless aspects of it so unforgivable you know it, it's it's just these you you get the the action bits absolutely almost spot on you get the humor spot on 
and 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 this for me is what lifts the movie and and why I I enjoy watching it. Yeah, it it really does. The, there's there's so much to enjoy. Um, when if you do just kind of switch off and allow yourself not to not to get too stuck into it. There, there's a couple of other lovely bits just to almost follow on from from what Graham said. One just small little bit I genuinely love is the the. You know, yes, a, a fight sequence in a in a paper uh, in a paper printing press is never exactly going to set the pulses <laughs> racing. But the bit where Waylon is just wa- walking down the wall and just gives him a wave—it's <laughs> just perfection. They again, they've got that, and it's one of those bits where, and you know, I think Brosnan is is an interesting Bond in how much he can kind of you can see of all the other Bonds put into him. But that is a pure Roger moment within that. And you could you could see that being transposed into any of Moore's films and just the little wave. And you can just see the raised eyebrow coming up as he then darts into somewhere else. That That's brilliant. The other bit that I really like, again, in the kind of in Waylon's kind of little workshoppy lair is it's the first time where actually Bond seems almost a little nervous in in that. There's a little bit of kind of like. You know, when when Bond normally is is kind of with the female character, there's a he, and he's been trying to be the alpha male quite a lot, and then all of a sudden he walks in and he's like, "Hmm, okay, <laughs> I, I I think I may have underestimated you even more here." And uh, yeah, I, I'm slightly out of my depth here, and it's almost an element of that, like just briefly comes to the surface of the bumbling Hugh Grant type of character that just surfaces a little bit in that and comes back down but it's perfectly pitched and you've just got Michelle yeah just like standing there and just grinning as he he basically sets off chaos around the place it's those, those are wonderful bits and you know yeah some of the, the bad Bond films have those elements which redeem it the good Bond films have those little bits that lift them up and I'm with you Terry as well there, there is elements of this where the, they've got they've got some of the details so absolutely perfect um, and it's it's frustrating because you can see what this film could have been. Um, let's talk about one other really, really good thing about this. Um, and, and probably I'm going to say one the best thing about this film and one that even the, the even the haters, even the uh, you know, I'm not necessarily sure whether we're tomorrow never die stands, but uh, even the people who really dislike this film cannot deny Terry. And that is the soundtrack. Probably. I would say one of the best, if, if, you know, it, it's got to be up there in the top three soundtracks ever produced in, in Bond land. Um, it's, you know, I was, I've been listening to it, it to get myself kind of pumped up. And I'm just like, this is, this is a fantastic soundtrack. I could listen to this anytime and I'd be a very happy man. Yeah, and the soundtrack that was released is only a small sample of what 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 was what was actually produced. It was on a single CD, and it's basically the first half of the movie. They they've only just re-released the full version of the score, which I have ordered at um, <clears throat> some some expense. It should be said direct from the United States because it's not available in Europe. But but it's a measure of how much I love that score. Um, they went to um, John Barry and asked him if he'd come back and do this one. And he said, well, how much? And they said this much. And he said, no. Uh, but he recommended David Arnold. Um, when you think about this soundtrack, you also have to think about the the, the, the the album Shaken and Stirred from a year before, which I'm sure 
uh, you guys are familiar with, and that's the, the 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 cover versions of James Bond songs and some themes by various artists produced by David Arnold. And really, that's what got him the gig. He'd done Independence Day, he'd done Scar- Stargate, so he'd done big, you know, genre movies. You know, so he wasn't an experienced an experienced movie score guy. So it's not like he was going in as a novice. But he wanted to fuse that 60s bombast, that John Barry 60s bombast with the, with the contemporary 90s sound. And he, and he succeeds immaculately. He sneakily brings in a bit of John Barry, a bit of From Russia of Love in the opening opening sequence, which, which is lovely. Um, and, and, and he brings in the propeller heads for the car chase as well which is a sort of like drum and bass-ish kind of breakbeat kind of band from the 1990s. Did a really good number with um, with Shirley Bassey. Did a great cover version of On A Majesty's Secret Service for Shaken and Stirred. And, and, and all the way through, he just hits the mark with this. Um, the American Film Institute nominated this in 2005 for uh, the, the, the top 25 soundtracks, score music scores. For the previous 100 years in Hollywood, uh, it was nominated. It wasn't part of the 25. It was part of a nominate shortlist, a long list of 250. So that's you know, it's a lot of scores. But when you look at the number of movies that, that were made, it's not a lot of scores. This is this is also how well it's been received. So I mean, if nothing else, if Tomorrow Never Dies gives us nothing else, it's given us this score, one of the greatest scores. And it's I would say it's got to be in anyone who's got. You know, who follow, who, who likes the James Bond scores would have to put this in its in, in your top five, I, w- I would say. Um, and 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 do if you can get hold of the re-release version, then do avail yourself of it. So when I heard he was doing it, I thought, well, this is good. I'm pleased about this. I wasn't expecting it to be as Bonding as it was, but it doesn't ape Barry in so far as it doesn't mimic Barry. Definitely got echoes of Barry. It's definitely inspired by Barry. But it is a work of its own right. Yeah, it, it's it's genuinely just such a fantastic soundtrack. And if you, um, if any listeners want to check it out as well, um, the Propellerheads also did a version of Goldfinger uh, that they remixed with taking Shelley Bassey, it's a classic number, and that is a great listen as well. Um, you know, again, if you if you're into Bond and, and you haven't and you like the soundtrack and you haven't explored, you know, it's not a big back catalogue of the Propellerheads, but they're a, they're a band that I think you can you can see why they work so well with David Arnold as well. They're, they're, and, they're, you know, there's there's good songs as well. Like, you know, you've... Um, Terry as well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep on with you because I know you're a, you're a big soundtrack man, but um, there were a lot of songs that were submitted to this. There were a lot of songs that we, you know, used. You had Sheryl Crow, you had Katie Lang in there. This was... This felt like they, they kind of they got the, the music. They, they had such clear vision for what they wanted from here. Well, they took a lot because Pulp did a, ver- did a did a version as well, didn't they? Um, and that Pulp's version, I think, was originally "Tomorrow Never Lies," which was the original name of the of the movie. It was a, actually a typo that changed it to, to "Tomorrow Never Dies," believe it or not. Um, but yes, yeah, so, I mean, Katie Lang's song is is weaved into the score. And I quite like Cheryl Crow's um, um, song. I mean, I appreciate that, that it's not for everyone. And I know they kind of went for her because she was quite a big name. 
but I actually quite like it. I thought it were, I thought it ticked the boxes. I, I am a soundtrack guy, but you know Graham is the guy who went to the Albert Hall to, 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 to for the for the live performances quite recently. So he's he's a soundtrack guy as as well. I mean you you know I'm happy that you come to me on these things, but I'm pretty certain that Graham also has opinions on on the music of of, of, of this of this film. No, I mean, do, do you have this blasting out of your speakers as you're, you're driving down the streets of Whiteleaf, Graham? <laughs> yeah, I put backseat driver on, you know, whenever I'm driving around. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, well, it is, it is a spectacular uh, sound, soundtrack. And I was looking back at it uh, when I watched it today. I think there's a lot about this film. I, think, I, I do wonder whether or not there are things that I, I really love and, I, and I, I elevate this film up because it's in my time. And I don't think it's aged at all. But then again, would someone in their twenties look, look at this and think, "Oh my God, this is this is so nineties, so old." And and I I think I think that 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 is the case. But with the music, it's very strange because yeah, there is this whole sort of element of like late late nineties sampling, this whole era of Fatboy Slim and and things like that, where you've, you're getting people who are who are taking their cues from all over the place. A lot of sixties people are being are being resampled or or uh, are having revivals in their careers at the time. You, you talked about uh, Shirley Bassey singing with the propeller heads, but there are other similar character, uh, uh, similar um, artists who who had uh, who had many revivals. Um, Tom Jones, even and he he was he was in the middle of a huge revival in the nineties, um, and so there was a lot of music that was making callbacks to to, to the sixties anyway. And and so this this really is of its time. Although it sounds sixties ish, it, it is actually very very mid nineties, and and so it has got that element. I'm, I'm with Terry. I love Cheryl Crow's uh, uh, theme tune for this, and I think it's stronger than than Katie Lang's one. Um, Katie Lang's one would have made a perfectly uh, good enough uh, theme song. I think we can imagine it with the titles going over there. But I think there is that. It's got a really strong opening. The um, the. the uh, Shell Crow one and and yeah of course she was picked because she was popular but that's what half the people who ever whoever asked to, to do to do Bond songs is because they're in the charts at the time Aha did it I mean yeah Billie Eilish it's Duran Duran yeah Sam Smith all of these people are don't are because they are they're they're of the moment they're of of, of the time and. The thing that I was going to ask, though, is obviously I know that when you were driving into Miami, you obviously had the relevant part of the Goldfinger soundtrack on. Do you have the same thing when you drive to Frank Cross Car Park? <laughs> <laughs> well, I am ra- rather worried because, like, like the doors of Brent Cross Car Park could withstand Stinger missiles. I mean, <laughs> what on earth are they expecting? Really? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like you, know, you can just imagine the guy putting them in. You're saying, "Ooh, this feels a bit flimsy." You got anything a bit stronger? So, well, I've got some, I've got some military-grade doors. Yeah, they'll do. I mean, you, we've all been to Brent Cross, so I mean, I can understand why potentially. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna say, um, I mean, that's perfectly feasible to me. I didn't bat an eyelid when they when those stingers bounced off those doors. I thought, oh, yeah, Brent Cross, you know. <laughs> Uh, it's also the type of place where you probably would have sledgehammers lying around as well (laughs) there's a lot of tools hanging around in this film which which is one reason why i like it i think (laughs) the the tool the toolbox that just happened to be there as they jumped out of (laughs) in saigon as they needed to yeah that was that was very handy oh look we've got a toolbox here so we can 
Yeah, there, there is. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot to like in this, and there's a lot to enjoy. Um, and Graham, I think one thing that that I find really interesting about this particular film is 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 it has its highs, it has its lows, but there's a lot to enjoy. I think it's you know for me it's a strong performance as well by Pierce Brosnan. Um, and it's also, again, it's frustrating for the what comes next because you can see where this franchise under Brosnan could have done if they'd handled it well. I mean, if this is what they could do with a half-baked script that's been rushed out, you go, well, oh, there's a lot they could do if they, they take their time because they've got a good actor here. They, they, they've got units which know how to deal the action. You could see the, you know, a different if they if they taken some elements from this and built on the best bits, we'd have probably viewed the the films of the Brosnan era very differently rather than the the two that subsequently followed. Yeah, it's it, it's basically you you see a film come out and you think, oh, this could be better. This 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 could be this could be a lot better. The trouble is, they change all the wrong things <laughs> to make the next one and. And it's so disappointing. And then they go even worse with the one after that. And um, yeah, it it, it, it it is really disappointing um, because they were going, they, they, they'd hit on something, I think, here in this one. And the, with the strength of the female character in, 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 in the film, you think, well, look, the, you've, you've reinvented uh, bond for the 90s you've got a great bond here a really really good bond here and you i know i know what you 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 were saying about the vulnerability of him there but this is this is remington steel uh coming out in his bond and allowing himself some fun with it um and and there are emotional points in in, in here when 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 paris dies it's, it's a genuinely a, a emotional yeah. moment there yeah. and and I know people riff on this for 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 Terry Hatcher's uh, performance in this, but that's not her fault. That's that's no. that's all the way down to the to the um, uh, to, to to the script and 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 the direction. That's what I'd say. I mean, yeah. I think she comes in and does it does this great because I mean, she was what three months pregnant when she when she started filming on this, which uh, you know, it was three months is three months. But I mean, she was she was at the peak of her powers here. Um, in, well, in the first wave of, of her powers, this one before um, Desperate Housewife started. Um, but you, it, it just seems like there's a letdown here. Um, and I think the sort of letdowns you get with, with Terry Hatcher's casting and, and role in the film is what seems to go on in there whenever they try to deal delve into something or take it in a different way a different sort of like oh this is a new direction we're going to take bond in this is a new way we're going to tell the story and and it just it 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 found us and you know and it only starts to succeed once you get into the craig era um when they are a little bit more confident about it and they're a little bit more they, they they there's a lot of as i said there's a lot of things you see in this film that are just basically lifted and put again into into the craig films yeah. um i'd look at the uh, at terry hatcher's role in this i look at paris carver and and in my head canon my head canon rewrites this or it it thinks it sees the first draft and it doesn't see paris carver it sees pam carver and this is pam bouvier straight from license to kill this is her this is the, the, this is them picking up again from there, 
So that's that's my my head If they got her in, if they got 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 Carrie Lowell in to do this, now all of a sudden you've got that would have worked. Yeah, but I mean, but yeah, but yeah, they didn't. They don't do stuff like that. No, do they? they don't do that. I mean, it, Paris Carver as as a as an ex Bond girl from another movie. That is what Paris Carver is supposed to be. But it 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 doesn't. It just doesn't work. The, the the there's not enough time spent on the characterization also the movie the tone of the movie is just doesn't doesn't fit the the depth of emotion and the intensity of the emotions at play in these scenes no, exactly the, the, the tone of the movie is too light yeah for that, and no it just, it's incongruous and and you see that in the car in the in 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 the booze cruise car when they're having the conversation when money penny is like saying yeah pumper for information right. yeah but there is a moment in there when you look at, at Bond's reaction. Bond doesn't want to get into yeah. this because he knows she's going to die. She knows. Yeah. But that's ad- that's adding that that would be fine if she was the the uh, the married to a known um, arch criminal. If she was married to 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 uh, to Blofeld or a a stats a stats Blofeld. But she's not. She's married to someone who runs a media empire. So she should not be in danger if he goes and shags her. But uh, there is that whole thing of, well, we know what happens to women who he picks up and pumps for information. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, I think that that was, I thought that was really, because that, that scene in the car, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. But you've got, you've got, you've really got, Money Penny is manipulating Bond. Yeah. She's in control of the relationship for the first time in the entire history of the franchise, really, I think. Yeah. At this point, she has the upper hand in this. She has the power. And, and it backed up by the fact that M is sat there master mistress of her of her domain you know she's 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 this is a working day you know there's a they're in the middle of a massive crisis how's she handling it she's sitting in the back of her bentley drinking scotch you know i mean this is how much in control of, of the situation it is there's a strong messaging going on there's a lot telling you about again about about the role of women in james bond and and we see this in subsequent james bond films about the role of women in james bond films and and, and the power that they have and judy dench and m's character says like that but that's not what i want to talk about you can see that he is not happy about seeing paris again and then when we then follow it through and again it's it's poorly written the dialogue is too melodramatic um and 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 unconvincing this whole, did I get too close for comfort? It's just like unconvincing dialogue, unfortunately, not things that people say. And it was hardly bad. But the tragedy of behind the relationship is, is that the reason why he left is because he knew that she was going to die if he stayed with her. And now he has to go back and there's every chance that she's going to die anyway. And, and that's the tragedy behind it. And he's sitting there, when he's sitting there with his gun, knocking back the vodka, he's prepared, numbing himself for what is likely to be a dreadful, dreadful reality, which of course happens. And there's, a, there's an intensity and an emotional intensity to that, which just doesn't sit in the rest of the movie because the movie is much, much too light and those scenes are not handled skillfully enough. You take those skills, just like Graham said, take 10 years into the future, into a Daniel Craig film, they work perfectly. In this movie, they just don't fit, sadly. And, that's, and it's a real shame because it's a waste of good actoring um, and Terry Hatcher, Terry Hatcher was arguably the biggest star in that film at that time. It, it's a, and I think this is where we're kind of getting to, to some of the crux of, of this particular film in that actually the ideas, everything that was probably in a conceptual stage for this film is probably spot on, but the execution lets it down quite frequently. And it, it probably 
you know, if, if MGM hadn't rushed it, you do wonder what they could have done with another six months or a little about three more months worth of script development in there, going back in, refining some of those elements within there because the script was rushed because they discarded the Hong Kong draft. There's you could see where you can see where they're trying to go. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes you can see where Bond films that don't work are trying to go and you go, yeah, that was never going to work. This one, you can kind of, I think this is the frustrating thing for me. You can see what they were trying to do with this and they probably needed about another six months of pre-production. And then I think they would have, you would have probably landed up with a really, really strong entry. Maybe. Mm. The, one of the reasons why the film works is because it, 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 it it's light, and it's and it's quite funny, um, and, and I don't know whether or not they would have been able to even the tone out and, yeah. and to, to make that work. I do want to just quickly say, of course, that that sequence does then lead on to one of the best scenes in any James Bond film ever made, ever, ever, ever. Are you looking at this from Stuttgart, yeah? <laughs> Yeah, let, let, uh, let's dwell on this for me because you've had your rant, Terry. Now <laughs> let, let's have your love for Vin Chavelli and, and the uh, and the brief appearance of Dr. Kaufman. <laughs> well, it's just an immaculate scene, really, isn't it? I mean, it, 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 it's not expected. He's a, Vince Chavelli is a very, very different kind of actor, was sadly, he's passed away, a, a, a different kind of, of actor. Uh, and he... He's this. We were talking about in another podcast that I was doing last week, actually, with Graham, unsurprisingly, about vaudevillian aspects of it. And there's a there's a vaudevillian quality to to Vince Chiavelli's to, to Doctor Kaufman, but at the same time, he's just like thoroughly evil and very very dangerous. He's done an unspeakable thing, and yet he's playing it with his. It's he's funny. And he's terrible. He's also ghastly. He's grotesque. He's an utterly grotesque character, and you and you can't help but but marvel at it. And he he captivates you in that sequence. And the just the the matter of factness, the sort of like professional embarrassment of having to ask him if he would be kind enough to sort of like you know open the door to his car before he shoots him, and it just works really really well. It's chilling and grotesque and and, and glorious, and he's. Utterly charming, isn't he, Graham? He is. He's superb, and and completely steals the scene. But uh, as well, this is another good show from 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 Brosnan because he plays with it so well. Yeah. He, uh, the, the 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 magic between them there is there. It's just bang on the screen. And you're right. It is. It's it's near perfect that scene. Um, even to, to to the to the embarrassment of of him having to ask him to to, to open the car door, um, with 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 the comedy cuts to to to, to the to, to the um, to the chalet attendant goons trying trying to break into it with with um, with sledgehammers and whatever else they have handily lying around. <laughs> it's it yeah it is it's just brilliant yeah you you've got. <laughs> You've got a horrific scene going on on one hand, and then you've almost got Wiley Coyote on the other coming together yeah. in, in a few minutes. <laughs> it, it's yeah. It, uh, I mean, there's there's not many films that carry off a grotesque, horrific, vaudevillian character who wouldn't be out of place in a in a proper horror movie, and then juxtapose it with essentially. Um, 
you know, <laughs> Warner Brothers-style cartoon violence. Yeah, it's like, like, have you tried dropping an anvil on top of it? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, because did you call the auto club? Do you want to call them? Which is, which is, which is just really funny. <laughs> it's very German, German isn't German it? <laughs> it's very German. <laughs> Why have not called the auto club? <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, it's, you can take that. I think that that is ranks up as one of the best scenes in in franchise history, just for pure pure comedy. Um, and Graham, one thing I was going to touch on with both the comedy and the drama in here um one thing that struck me watching this film again was we talk a lot about could you you know a lot of bond films could you interchange the bonds and have a different bond in it would it work and this is one potentially rare film where i think you could have put any of the other bonds that have been in here and you would have still got a really good interesting movie there there are elements that brosnan has which touches on every single bond No, totally. that, that, yeah. that's, that's existed prior or or in the future and you could put one of those bonds into this film and and it would work yeah no totally totally i mean you you, you could have daniel craig sliding around on the back seat of that bmw totally. um it, it uh you you could i mean i've already mentioned george lazenby in the action sequences in the, in in this film Roger could could have handled a lot of that. I don't, I'm not too sure about the bike scene. I'm not sure how, 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 that, how that would have worked. <laughs> but no. <laughs> Drop a car, give it a give it a handful. Um, uh, yeah, and then and then obviously the, you've got you've got Sean as well who could do could do, he would he would have made made a good fist of this one as well. Uh, yeah, you're right. But I think that's why. Um, it's it's probably I don't know is this Brosnan's best performance? I think it probably is. Yeah, Golden Eyes is best film. It's his but best this could film, be his but this best could performance. Be his best performance. Yeah, mm. I think I think that's mm. that's probably. Uh, I mean, he's got a lot more confidence in this one. I think it's um, yeah. yeah, he owns the character in this film. Yeah, totally, totally. Mm. So so yeah, you, you you could have any other Bond in it, but I think he's. I think. It should be seen that that what he's provided this film, I think, you know, I, I don't think people would would expect Daniel Craig to have looked back at Pierce Brosnan and thought, what can I, what can I give it? But there is certainly a lot of stuff in here that that you you, you would see um, Daniel Craig doing in in his lighter moments. You could see, yeah, this is the sort of stuff that 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 Pierce Brosnan was doing in this film. But it is foreshadowing future, to be fair, because obviously this is the first film that's that is solely Barbara and Michael G's. Yes, it is. Cully yeah, Rockley's yeah, yeah. passed away before just just before this, and 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 they make this is their movie without yeah. free of any 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 influence from from mm. from Cubby, um, and so you're seeing elements already that that then we get revisited, finessed, and improved dramatically. Yeah. Yes, yes, dramatically yes. improved. Yeah, and this is the other thing about this film. Is that this is also this is the last of the great formulaic James Bond movies. Pre-credit sequence, mission, carry out the mission, you know, you know, get off with the Bond girl at the end. That which Bond many Bond films lament and miss and want mm. to see that back. I'm one of them. Um, want to see that format back, but but the subsequent movies are poor. Follow the same format, but they're poor. This is the last of the great classic Bond formula films. 
Um, and it is not that great because of the reasons that we've that we've talked about. But I think it still just falls under that category, uh, and it that that's and it's it's and, and that's why I think to a degree it also has to be cherished. I think as well. But it is what it is, and that's an out of the box James Bond story. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask Graham actually as a follow up question to what you said, into, especially in terms of when we look at, at actually how they mined um, some elements of Tomorrow Never Dies for Craig. And as, as um, Terry has pointed out, you know, this was this was Barbara and Michael's show that they, they were clearly developing some ideas. Do you think then Tomorrow Never Dies potentially requires a little bit of a, a reappraisal as a as a as a film of some level of importance within there it, it is knockabout fun it's a knockabout film it's not going to be top but but it kind of feels from everything we've talked about that there is something in here that that certainly deserves a little bit of its a reappraisal of its place within bond as a whole i think films that are knockabout fun deserve their place high up on the uh, uh, on in in people's respects look at uh, spy love me that that is knockabout fun Mm-hmm. Um, this is ve- this is pretty much on the same in in the same ballpark. It's not done as well um, uh, because of the reasons that we've that we've explained here. But there is so much good stuff in this film that I think you can you can look beyond it. I I think there is it's of its time. Certainly, you look at the other films that are coming out this year. You've got um, Air America, Con Air. Um, You've got Spice World. Spice World comes out this year, um, which which does lead to some of the sort of like the more sort of like like questionable dialogue, especially in the early parts. Especially for pretty much everything that Money Penny says is awful in this film. She is like, yeah, she's got she's she's got some agency here, but bloody hell, she's using it terribly. She's she's typical ladette. She's like she's 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 this whole line of the don't ask, don't tell. No, that's. Why have you said that? Why have you put that whole line in about the the sort of like the American military's sort of ignoring ignoring homosexuality amongst their, their troops? Isn't that what that quote's from? And then, yes, it is. And yeah. then and yeah. then you're using it in this context. Um, yeah, yeah, all right. That interchange with you and you, with you and M is not going to pass the backdoor test. This is <laughs> what, what what where are you going? And I think there is this whole sort this mid nineties confusing the, uh, the this ladette confusion that. Um, uh, where you know the 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 you're you're going to get equality through actually being like a dick, acting like a dick, like like like, like guys do, um, and and I think that's that that so there is that that dates it. That's what what dates it. So so in the long term, when we're looking back and reappraising this, then you've got to get over that, and that's only going to get worse as this gets older. Mm-hmm. Um, that, true, that's true. that that that's going to be dialogue that's going to be as jarring as as the stuff that we see in the sixties and the seventies. Um, as far as reappraising it is concerned, there is there is so much to to enjoy about it, and I think yeah, it it, it, it I could see see this film easily being something that even big Bond fans could have only seen once or twice and never revisit because they just don't feel that they like the Brosnan era, or if they do, they think it begins and ends in Goldeneye. But I think if you if you like Goldeneye, I really, really do think that that that, that this is worth revisiting. And I, I think even if you have if you especially if you haven't seen it in about ten years, I think you will get something out of it. And I think if you if you enter it with just a, a, a the same approach that you approach films like Spy Love Me, then I think you you're gonna get a lot of enjoyment from it. 
Yeah. And and Terry, obviously, you know, we started this by you saying that, you know, how much you, you'd enjoyed this film when it came out. And now that you, you know, we've obviously gone through a, a pretty big discussion about it, but you, you've watched it with probably a more critical eye than you've ever done in the past. Um, I get the feeling that it, it still, despite the problematic elements of it, it still really stands up for you as, as a as a film that's, you know, that deserves its place potentially even higher than a lot of people would, would put it in their lists. No, I would not persuade anyone to move it above up, up their lists. I would pers- I would certainly encourage people to watch it if they haven't. But just like Graham said, I would echo what Graham says. If 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 you've not seen this movie for a while, the do and you're a Bond fan, then check it out. Uh, it, it's it's worth it. It's as I said, it's a good, you know, out of the box James Bond film, and 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 it works on on that level. Um, and Graham's right to point out that 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 you know the problematic and difficult script writing that does date the movie it it's sitting in that kind of weird also that kind of weird pre 911 sort of like thing that's going on which which of course they were to know about but nevertheless it it's there at all i did enjoy i did enjoy the effete uh, new labor uh, minister though Right, not not your kind of not your kind of Tory Frederick Grays, who are very gruff from public school. You've got this sort of like rather Weasley sort of you know, um, you know Blairite, this, uh, you know uh, minister there, which I I thought he complimented quite well with Jeffrey Palmer, who was just like uh, I thought was brilliant by yes. the way. <laughs> and I'm sorry that well, I'm not sorry he didn't come back because it, he probably would have ruined probably would have ruined it. But uh, but 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 those were nice things as well. Uh, so so there's 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 so much to enjoy on, on a specific level but there's very little in the way of depth to this film um it's got a great score it's got an important score and and it, and it's got as we've said summarize it's got pierce at his most comfortable um and the film the film just about works on 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 that level but anybody was to say to me, I can't watch this film, it's terrible, that I would just say, well, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> not, I, can't, I can't really put forward a, a more robust argument than the one that, that I've had. I mean, you're perfectly entitled to think this film honks, frankly. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think probably some of the enjoyment uh, from this film probably comes with rewriting it in how you would do it in your own head just as graham has put in um you know pam bouvier into uh, into this uh just as i would put um jaws into this as well <laughs> there is so much like you can imagine that if if we sat down and rewrote tomorrow never dies which i think we absolutely should do at some point i think that would be a worthy exercise i reckon we, yeah, I'm, I'm not wanting to sound like, you know, too arrogant, but I reckon we'd come up with a really good Bond film, a ridiculous Bond film. Um, you know, maybe the fan, the fan fiction on Tomorrow Never Dies could be better than the film itself. I was about to suggest that we uh, finally revealed to readers that we're going to launch uh, a new strand of, of fan fiction podcasts beginning with Tomorrow Never Dies, the, yeah. uh, the, the Andrews cut. <laughs> Yeah, and and Terry Hatch is coming on to 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 reread her role. <laughs> well, that would that would be lovely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, 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 let's say, listeners, you you'd watch the shit out of that, wouldn't okay. you? If we'd written that, um, yeah. I mean, I think look to to sum up, there has been a lot that uh, that we've enjoyed uh, about this film, and I think there's a lot that you should do too. Look, if he, you might never reach for it as the first DVD in your box set, but at the same point in time, 
if it's on TV, it's not one of those that you go, mm, I'm going to give this 10 minutes or stick with it. Stick with it. Because you're going to, you know, if it's 9 p.m. or later and you just want something to switch off, I can't think of a, a, a better film that would really, you can know, you can be there, you can start dozing off during the bits when Jonathan Price is on screen, sadly. Um, and then, you know, you can enjoy the action sequences, what they are and the humor that's in it. It's, 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 you know, as, as a film, uh, for me, it's, it's a perfect 10 PM post pub film where you can sit down and you can just enjoy the elements that are there to be enjoyed. Whether you happen to be in Brent Cross or Stuttgart, you know, there's, there's plenty to enjoy within this one. Um, I, well, I think that kind of just about brings us to the end of um, <clears throat> Tomorrow Never Dies. Now, uh, obviously, we've been going through all the bonds. Um, we do have a director's commentary of The World Is Not Enough. And I think we as a team do have to kind of make a big decision is do we want to put ourselves through that film again? Um, but then if we don't, I've then got to come face to face with some proper trauma in my life of watching Die Another Day here for you about the seventh time. We're here for you. Have... We, were, we were here for you for Moonraker. We're here for you for Die Another Day. Yeah, I, I might need a lot of support to get through this. Uh, yes, having done my dissertation on uh, on Die Another Day. And actually, looking back on it, I should have probably done it on Tomorrow Never Dies because there is a horrific amount of product placement going on in this film. <laughs> An absolutely horrific amount. And I would have had a much better time. I could watch this done. film 37 times in a row and I'd probably be fine. I can watch Die Another Day two times before. Oh, <laughs> good Lord. Uh, this is, this is going to be a challenge. But uh, I think if nothing else that has brought you up to the place where you're like no i'm tuning in for the next one because i want to hear a man audibly have a proper breakdown <laughs> on air as he relives the trauma of his hundredth and fifth time of watching die another day and uh, i mean if that's not a selling point i don't know what is in the meantime if you want to watch world is not enough go back to our director's commentary you'll be able to find it in in the backlogs of there um are, are you Graham, Terry, are you looking forward now to die another day? <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to getting out of the way. <laughs> Graham? Uh, well, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, think, I think it's going to be quite cathartic, I think. I think um, it's going to be terrible, Graham. It, it, oh, no, I know it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I, I've watched it. I've, I have watched it, remember, in the last uh, year or so. Been. So... Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem very fresh in the memory to me, even though it was probably a good 18 months, probably two years ago now. Um, yeah, it's, um, it, yeah, it honks, absolutely honks. I think in the spirit of Die Another Day, the first half of our next podcast should be absolutely the best podcast that we've ever done. <laughs> and then and then at some point we should just not, just give up and just swear at each other. And and at the listeners for the remainder of it, right? Because 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 that's the best way to reflect what Die Another Day actually. I is. I think we should record it over about the space of about three or four hours, and I think we should just have a full bottle of scotch in front of us and try and get down as far as we can the whole thing. And by the end of it, <laughs> we, will, we will probably get to to where they were by the end of that film. We are not. This is not. That we are not going to find any diamonds in this, are they? There is no. There is. There's. There's nothing to enjoy about this. God, no. I, I'm, I'm no. thinking about things. I'm already. Already. I'm, I'm thinking about things I hate about this film. 
and it's not even the 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 bits that are the most obvious things. It's it's it, it. This is this is the thing what makes a good film and a bad film. The what, what is a good film is is the little things that that make you forget all the big things. And and this is what what uh, uh, tomorrow never dies has. It's got a lot of little things that makes you think give, forgive a lot of the uh, other stuff in it. Die Another Day has nothing like that. All the little things you hate and all the big things you hate even more. It's just full of hate, <laughs> hate, hate. I'm going to enjoy this. This is going to be it's because because I'll be chatting with you guys about it and uh, and that will will make it fine. We're going to work through it together. We are. Graham. We we're are work through it together, Gary. Yeah. It'll and 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 we'll come through it. And I agree with you. Let's get the scotch on and. Um, and make it, but not you, Gary, because it'll be in the morning, I should think. So no scotch <laughs> for you. <laughs> I'm getting the scotch on. I'm recording this. It's currently uh, 9.40 a.m. in Australia as I record this. Um, and I think that's a perfectly reasonable time to be cracking open the scotch <laughs> when watching Die Another Day. Because, um, yeah, just as I find it very hard to uh, to watch um, both Exeter City and uh, and Sydney FC sober, um, but for very different reasons. Uh, this one, I think I might need... I mean, it, to be honest, I might actually just sit through and start making... You know, the one thing that might get me through this is sitting through Die Another Day and making notes of a drinking game, that every time something dreadful happens within there, you take a, you take a little sip of scotch, and by the end of it, I, I mean, I'm just basically going to be... You know, the, the podcast is... And the next podcast is essentially going to be us finishing it as Rody Birkin QC. We're going to be there just <laughs> essentially going, Ice Palace! <laughs> very, very drunk. <laughs> <laughs> invisible car! Uh, whole plane was on fire. <laughs> this man in his odd iron suit. Had entirely changed his face. <laughs> I think uh, if you've not, if you've stuck with us this far, I think there is no way you are not downloading the next podcast because this is just going to be utter chaos. And uh, that is, that's the way we like it. Um, thank you very much for sticking with us. I do hope you enjoy Tomorrow Never Dies. If you haven't subscribed to us and this is your first experience of the Odd Job Pod, as I say, please go back in and, and enjoy the rest of uh, the rest of our discussion around Pierce Brosnan's canon and many other things. Um, you can obviously subscribe to us for all the usual podcast platforms. Uh, we, we, we have various bits of social media, although until, you know, how long who knows i mean like essentially elon musk's going to start world war three by firing a missile at china at some point from a stealth boat that's absolutely guaranteed we know this is going to happen so you know enjoy enjoy twitter while you can people um and remains for me to say as ever thank you very much to uh, to terry defellin thank you very much for M. sibley uh thank you dear listeners for for enjoying and uh, and enjoying our preview uh, I think of the uh, the next one, which will be die another day. Uh, until then, goodbye. 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 <laughs>